Hello everybody and welcome back into Cult Film Cafe with me, one of your hosts Jonathan, and I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Kenzie McLean. Hello there. And the guest on this week's episode is a big connection to me. This is somebody who's known me probably for the last 25 plus years or so. Yep. Yep. Um, It is Nicholas Hill. Hello there everyone. So yeah, just to give you a quick idea of the podcast, just to be short and sweet, as if you haven't already listened. Um, yeah, so we're exploring a hundred must-see cult movies poster, where on each episode uh, the guest picks one of the films off the list, and we dive into that from various different acts. Uh, aspects which will become more apparent when you listen to the episode now as i have previously just said the guest gets to pick the film they want to talk about so nick what film did you choose flash gordon the movie what plaything can you offer me today the planet (laughs) what's happening it's an attack pathetic earthlings who can save you now Let's all team up and fight him. Prepare him for torture! I want him. Stop at nothing. I love you, but we only have 14 hours to save the Earth. Flash Gordon is still alive. Gordon's alive? my lucky day so yeah as we do in all the episodes the first follow-up question is why flash well it takes me back to my childhood i mean i must have been about i'm guessing about 12 when i first saw it and it probably been about christmas time in the era when you got your big movies shown at christmas so it probably a couple of years after the theatrical release so it takes me back to christmas getting the radio times and the tv times to circle my films that i was going to watch um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just a childhood thing, um, which like most guys my age now, um, we never grew out of. We just bring our childhood along with us as we get older. <laughs> fair, fair. I think that's what now doing multiple podcasts. I think that there's a couple of reasons why people pick films off the list. One nostalgic reasons, or two, it's just a film that they really love. Um. But yeah, this is going to be another one of these assumptions that I shouldn't make about Kenzie, but probably a first watch for you, Kenzie. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I have heard of the film, but I had just never watched it. Didn't really know, well, I knew like a tiny bit about it, but yeah, so this is very fresh for me. This is a film that's one of the, I I have memories of this being on the television, like on like repeat reruns all the time. It seems like one of those films to me. Oh yeah, I mean it was it was quite regular, um, and again I think it's part of an awful lot of the eighties movies, which you would get. I think someone may have mentioned that Channel Five on the Sunday afternoon an awful lot. That was uh, Jamie on Big Trouble when he was talking about the Goonies. Yeah, um, you know on that. So, and it's one of those sorts of films which, quite often, you will watch it again, but not necessarily from beginning to the end. You're channel surfing. Oh, look, we're about 20 minutes in. Ah, I've got 15 minutes to spare. This is a good scene, and you'll watch it. <laughs> and um, so it can become a bit mixed up, these sorts of films, because you just feel that they're like an old friend you can pop in and see and then disappear again if you need to. I don't I don't know if that 
it's a good thing or a bad thing about the film if it's a mark <laughs> against or a mark for. <laughs> But, I think yeah. it's a Mark Four, but I'm slightly biased if if, if I can say that. You well, you pick <laughs> you picked the film, so yeah. Um, just, just for anybody out there um, who isn't familiar with the film, the film is based on a King Features comic strip from the thirties of the same name by Alex Raymond, and it follows Flash, who in the comics I'm right saying was a polo player, and he went to Harvard as well, but they changed it for the film because well. Um, I don't know why they, when we get onto that, it seems like there was no reason for that because you never get to see him play American football or anything like that. Yeah, it's but you've weird. got that scene earlier in I the know, film. I, I, I get that. I, I think it might have been a bit difficult as a polo player. Well, how he could have just had a big mallet and started hitting people with it. I don't think Ming would allow him to have a mallet <laughs> in front of him, but it's an interesting <laughs> plot device there. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah basically follows... Flash, it's a bit of a weird comic. He essentially becomes an astronaut, space traveller guy for... Yep. Um, is it Dr. Zarkov, who's the... And Zarkov, who's the brilliant solitary scientist who builds all these things, whereas massive governments haven't got the... And Dale Arden's the female sort of love interest. So he needs to be rescued. So, yeah, um, that is kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, obviously, uh, being based on a comic strip, which the comic strip ran, I think, right up until 2003. Three and wow. various different forms. It's there was obviously dailies for a long period of time, and then I think it went to. A, by the time we got to the end, it was a Sunday special, but it still ran for seventy years. I think um, it's a long-running comic. I think, um, but because anybody who's familiar with paper um, comic strips are very short, so trying to make a feature-length movie or anything out of it, um, I know that there was a TV adaptation of this as well so in the well there 50s. was one in 2007 which lasted for one series um, but I think for most people though would have got into it with the Crab during the 1930s um, well, you know serials right. which were repeated so I I saw that before I actually saw the film version right yeah I, I thought that was I thought there was like a TV show maybe I'm just making this well up. it was 2007 well. so yeah right. 2007 they, they, they made one but from the 1930s onwards right you had Buster Crab doing, and this is where you get influenced into Star Wars, episode one, episode two. And these were shown at the cinema originally. Um, and then when I was growing up, an awful lot of these cinema programs were shown like BBC Two, um, six o'clock at night or maybe a Saturday morning. So, but it was originally aimed at the, at the cinema before it, it got to, you know, shown on the you know, TV in the reruns. Huh. Yeah, see, it seems like there's a lot of different adaptations of the film. There was a live-action TV show in the mid-50s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it ran for 39 episodes. But, yeah, but there is audio um, stuff as well. There was an animated Flash Gordon before, just before the film was came out. Was it Defenders of the Earth, I think? Um, it was just the new, new Adventures of Flash Gordon, it says here. Um, that was weird. I didn't, I didn't realise that. It was quite a weird time because it didn't look like it ran very long. And the film came out in obviously 1980. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's just a bit of background about what the film is about. And now we're kind of going to talk about thoughts on it, you know, how we feel about the film. Um, I, I'll start purely because I absolutely do not like this film at all whatsoever. Don't sit on the fence. Tell us what you really think. Well, well that, um, <laughs> I, th there's one redeeming factor in this film for me. It's the music. <laughs> and that is it. Um, if anybody isn't familiar with it, uh, Queen, uh, 
done the whole soundtrack for the movie. Um, and it's incredible soundtrack, great music. I will always give that a massive props. But everything else for me is just really bad. The, the acting's terrible. Sam J. Jones is terrible. Um, Max von Sydow's fall from grace. <laughs> in my opinion, he was in. He was. He's an incredible actor. I don't know how he ended up in in this film. Should have sacked his agent. I would say. Um, the the girl uh, Melody Anderson is just a bit, a bit meh. Um, I'm not a big Timothy Dalton fan either. He was like he was playing. Who was who played Robin Hood in the thirties? Errol Flynn. Well, Errol Flynn, yeah. He was like trying to be Errol Flynn in a sci-fi movie, which <laughs> didn't really work. Um, he even had that weird moustache. Um, it looks terrible. It's a film that came out in nineteen eighty, but it looks like it was made in the late fifties, early sixties. The budget was incredibly massive, considering the way the film looks. I think this is, and I have, I was trying to think about this as well. This room, this is like a an eighties James Bond movie in space. It's very cheesy, <laughs> very lackluster, and just a bit meh. Roger Moore is a good James Bond, but his best James Bonds were early seventies, and then he got a bit, it just got a bit, a bit rough. I would, I would still say they're better than. Like the eighties the bonds are so probably better. Look, this is just my this. opinion. I'm just telling you how I feel <laughs> about this film. Like, and I absolutely don't like it at all whatsoever. Um, so yeah, there's that is my opinion. Oh, and also Zarkov, <laughs> um, Topol the actor played him was in Fiddler on the Roof. Massive fall from grace to there as well. <laughs> I think every actor in this was either shouldn't have been in it because they should have been in. They were better actors than this movie clearly based on filmography or they were new up-and-comers that just weren't very good sam j jones didn't have a career let's face it <laughs> only, people only know him from from playing one movie role and it was a crap movie role and he was crap in it i think that's maybe why i guess maybe why the film holds such a cult status is just because of how bad, but people will go, this is, this is a bad but good film, that's what I think a lot of people say. Yeah, uh, this, is, this is me. I'm out. I'll hand over the field <laughs> to one of used to. You probably like this film a lot more than I do, but yeah, that, I've, I've said my piece, and if you want, if, do you know what? Save yourself the hassle. Just go on to Spotify, listen to the Flash soundtrack. Don't bother with the film at all. Just listen to Queen's music. There you go. That's wow. my opinion. Well, uh, can I you can go next. launch some sort oh, of defence? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, the th you're right about Flash. I mean, I think that was the first time that a rock group had basically scored the soundtrack because normally before it was like John Barry or Ennio Morricone or John Williams. It was normally instrumentals, orchestral pieces or things like that. So that was quite groundbreaking um, at the time. Um Sam J. Jones, I will concede, he, I think he might have been an American footballer before he actually was in the part. Um, and from my understanding is, that's not his voice in the film. 
he fell out with, I think, uh, Dino De Laurentiis uh, at the end and stormed off back to America. So they had to get another actor to actually do that. So, um, so yeah, I would concede that he was not the most memorable actor in the same amount the Anderson. Um, but I would disagree about the other characters, to be honest. I mean, Max von Sydow, now I think he chose this because he was a visionary Flash Gordon fan in his youth. So for him, it was like doing a Bond villain. I think he wanted to try something that was quite different. Um, and I suppose if you're you know, a big enough actor, you, you, you can do that because I, I would imagine that he wouldn't have got paid anywhere near what he would normally have got paid for uh, something like that. Um, and he looks the part. He's very similar to the actor that played in the the 1930s um, you know, serial. So I quite like his interpretation of it, to be honest. Um, very sinister. Um, and I don't think he's too over the top in the role. But then I might be comparing him to people like Brian Blessed in it, who no one could be over the top compared to, uh, you know, to him. Um, and Timothy Dalton, again, I liked his interpretation of the, of the part. I mean, from memory, I think he's got the moustache because Prince Baron in the comic strip had the moustache, so that fits in. And he actually physically looks quite like the um, character in the comic strips um, on that. And I like Errol Flynn and Robin Hood. So if I like that, I'm going to like his interpretation of it. Um, and uh, I thought it was one of Topol's best parts, other than being in James Bond himself as well. So... But again, it reflects, I think, the period of the 19, 1930s. I mean, it was still the era of you would get a solitary scientist working in his back garden who will come up with something which the combined resources of a government won't actually do. Um, and I think it's a visually stylish film as well. It's quite different to anything else that was actually going on. Um, I think that's... Um, Jonathan is nodding his head to slightly disagree with me. Um but I like the colours, that they're vibrant and quite reflective of the, of the, of the comic strip. Even the w warship Ajax, that looks similar both to the serials from the 30s with Buster Crab and the comic strip itself. Um, so, But then every time I watch it, I'm still 12 years old. So perhaps that's why I'm more forgiving about these things after all these years. <laughs> Potentially, but I just, I, I just, I, I've, I've said my piece. I don't really want to <laughs> look, look, he's the a, film more. He's the saviour of the universe. How can you argue against that? Oh, no, like, and Ted recognised that as well. No, if I, if I was in a world <laughs> and he was my saviour, that that iteration of Flash Gordon, I would just be like, we're fucked. He was, to be honest, he was quite ass at some part of the films. Like, he, he got that first, like, kind of half of the film, he, he pretty much is just getting captured, killed, and just, it's not going good for him in the first half. It's supposed to be the but, saviour of the universe. But he, sh <laughs> but he shows a human spirit, which shows through every film against aliens that we will overcome. I find that so funny that, <laughs> for some reason, humans seem to be, have so much more, like, are just so different from all these other different species. They just don't seem to have any like humanity to them. <laughs> yeah, Kenzie, you can you can tell us your thoughts of the film then. So I I didn't know if I was gonna like this, and I was kind of somewhat dreading watching it. I was kind of like, I don't really feel like watching it. I'm I'm going to have to anyway. Uh, so I was like, all right. 
I'm not expecting too much, but honestly, I actually enjoyed it. I actually did enjoy it. There's some parts that I really liked. There were some parts that I thought were I didn't like. <laughs> uh, but overall, I did actually have fun with the film. I actually did like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about the. We've already mentioned the music. The music's amazing. And there's some parts it's just like it's so, like so noticeable. Of course, it is. It's Queen. Uh, but the actual film itself, I think it has a lot of charm. It's really goofy. It's really super cheesy. The dialogue is god awful at parts, like really bad. The the main three actors, like the main like the the main like trio, the three trio, like the kind of the good people in it, they were all fairly poor, like at, like acting wise. Not all of them, but especially the main ones. Uh, Big Sam J Jones was. Wally was bad, and now I'm reading that he was dubbed over a lot of the film as well. So I don't know who was worse was it the dubbed voice or was it his, his voice? I, I, which they were both probably as bad as each other. But yeah, the, the film has like a lot of. Like, I really do think the film has a lot of charm to it. The film, I'm shocked that it came out in 1980. It looks about 15 years older, maybe even older than that. I was so shocked. The effects in this film, my goodness. Uh, the, the, when you see those like bird people flying, and it's just like my god, it looks so bad. But it, it, even though it looks so bad, you don't mind it. I I didn't mind it at all anyway. But yeah, I, it got to like the first like fifteen minutes, and I was not sure if I was gonna like this or not. And then that whole part happened when they get they, they throw him like the pro flash Gordon like the egg thing, and he starts like suddenly be able to like tackle people and stuff like that. That I, that I, it was a really enjoyable scene, and I was like, oh, this, I, I might actually quite like this. And then it continued, and I'm like, okay, I'm not too sure. There's there's some parts uh, that I did really like. For me, the standouts in this film was Timothy Dalton and Brian Blessed. I thought they were great. I think they really, to be honest, for me, those two characters carried the film, especially Brian Blessed. I really like him in this film. He was perfect for the role. Um, I also did really like Timothy Dalton and his role as well. Everyone else was was fine. The, the, the mains weren't that good, but like everyone else in the film was fine. Um... But those two characters, I really like Brian Blessed's character in this. It is that that scene where, like during like the first kind of like scene when he's tackling everyone, he just keeps on bonking that one guy in the head. I found that was I was so funny. <laughs> I really liked that. But yeah, I just I don't know how this film got made at this time and like this. I don't know the here in the budget. I don't understand. I don't know why Queen got attached to the music. Like that's that that was shocking to me as well. The visuals are interesting as well, but I, I can like it. I think the thing about Queen is, I think maybe their light was slightly fading um, at the time, and they were maybe thinking this would bring them back into sort of sort of popular culture again. I, that's the only thing I can think of. Um, but yeah, it is, it is mad when you think of Queen now, just how big a band that they are and the landscape of music and why they're attached to such an awful film. It's <laughs> not. It's it's not awful. I mean, there's some parts I I I can kind of agree. There's certain scenes. Everything's very red in this film. Like I, I think the main color you see is red or kind of gold, which is interesting. I can't get that film really looks like it. Should, I if I saw this film, I genuinely would have thought it came out in the like the sixties. I that I I have never seen a film actually look decades old before and i actually honestly think that's impressive because me that's probably what they were going for i'm guessing if it wasn't then i what the fuck happened but like um you couldn't really mistake in this film for anything else coming out at its time but if it came out like like i said if it came out like 15 years earlier it probably would have fit in a lot better 
maybe even older to be honest. Um, there were certain parts like the kind of the, those who were the who were the green people called like Timothy Dalton's people. The, like the, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, they the um. It just shows you how little I paid attention to this <laughs> rubbish film. <laughs> Can't remember what they're called, but uh, their place just reminded me of like um Sherwood Forest. A little bit like that, but also it made me think of a uh, like the big trees. It made me think of a uh, what's that place in Star Wars? Is it en- it's oh. Endor. Endor with Ewoks. Yeah, it made me think of the Endor. kind of Endor a little bit. There is so there was that, but like most for the most part, I, I yeah, I think this felt I couldn't really. Say it, look, it did look quite different, I, I and, it, and definitely in its time, since it came out in 1980, definitely stood out. I did mention some of the dialogue is awful, but there was like a specific scene that was so bad that I actually went, fuck me, that is terrible. And it's when Flash Gordon and, what's the girl's name, is it Dale? Like Dale? Dale? Yeah, Dale Arden. Yeah. They, they meet up again and then suddenly she's just like uh, the di- I'm trying to remember what exactly the dialogue was they're like oh I thought you were dead blah 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 and it's like uh, I thought uh, when I first saw you I thought I was hoping it was a dream now I'm hoping oh I can't remember something like that and then they, they say oh we can tell our we can tell our kids about it it's like, and then she suddenly she's like oh we're, we're getting engaged and it's like what's happening it's like I, I can't process how fast their relationship has moved it was insane the dialogue in that part was so bad it was like actually laughable it actually made me like repulse like what is going on fuck me but overall i actually did enjoy this film even with like the really parts i'm like jesus like that's that's that is bad but maybe that was the point of the film to be like that and i i, I think it's an enjoyable film i can see why jonathan doesn't like it but i can see why people do like it it's, it's it is very it is a, it is a, it is a, it stands out. I think it always will. I think if anybody's listened to all the episodes of the podcast, you've probably got a flavour of what kind of films I like. There's a couple of standouts that I've given really high praise to, um, and this is so far from from those that it's unreal. I, I, there's probably a reason why I don't like it as well. I just want to touch upon it. The the so the screenwriter for this film was a was best is probably best known for for his his work on the Batman Adam West TV show of the sixties, and that's probably why I don't like this film as well because it's written in a style that I don't like. I don't like the Adam West Batman show. I Bro. prefer the darker, grittier Batman stories, and that's probably why. If if we look at um, if when you're listening to this. Um, the Blade Runner. We'll have done an episode on the Blade Runner, and it'll be out in a couple of years down the line. We get another science fiction movie, which is much darker in tone, which I absolutely love. I'm going to still stand by the fact that I dislike this film, and I know that I've taken in what you have said, and you've got your own arguments. But for me, this just doesn't hit any of the sort of things that I expect a film. To hit to sort of draw me in as a as a viewer. Uh, this film's definitely uh, this definitely isn't for you. I mean, the things you look for a film, uh, kind of look for in a film. This does not have it. Uh, it depends what you're looking for in a film. Some people would just like something like this. I mean, obviously people did like it. It seemed to make profit. So, yeah, it really depends what you're into. Uh, I like that they tried to do something different and like do they went to try and do a kind of older style film because. It clearly 
still had some people, well, people like it, so people, there were still people wanting to see that, and I'm kind of glad they did do it, because uh, after this film, you'll pretty much never see any other film like that. Till now, there still has not really been a film like that. It, but there's some parts that probably could be made a little bit better. I think the dialogue at some parts is genuinely just that bad, but overall, the acting, didn't, even though the acting was bad, didn't actually bother me that much. I, 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 I well, so you've I've got nothing like Kenzie. You've said some bad stuff about the film. Yeah. Nick's just like, no, nah, I love this film. And it's like, there's nothing bad about it. But I'm biased. I mean, I think biased, that, yeah. that that's the whole idea about these mm. things. You, you look at these. I mean, I said, I'm not very critical about these nostalgia films. I've got a lot of things like TV series and things like that. But I suspend my belief, and I'm still 12 years old. I don't look at it as a 52 year old man looking back on a film. I'm watching that because I'm that 12-year-old now and it's raining outside. Um, I can't go out to play. Um, you know, so it brings back those memories. So all that sort of um, stuff is what drives me along. Um, and again, it's, and you'll know yourself, this is all subjective about, about things. Um, I mean, again, in the early 80s, I mean, you talked about style. Science fiction was exploding in a, in a huge way, both in the cinema and even in the on TV, because you're right, you'd got Star Wars. And interesting enough, the story goes that George Lucas had wanted to make Flash Gordon. Well, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, think, yeah, but... Um, so he couldn't buy the rights to it off a, you know... The thing about Dino, Dino Deloranitis, he, he was attached to so many films, like, he was a prolific film producer in this time period, and he bought a lot of IP, and I think that was his strength, as he bought a lot of content to make at some point. Like he probably bought the rights to Flash Gordon ten years before the film. Was I think made. it was. I think it was several years before. So, yeah. and yeah, you're right. George Lucas did want to make a Flash Gordon film. But couldn't get something worked well, out. Well, that's why at the beginning, you know, when it starts like episode four, A New Hope. If you watched, I, get, I keep referencing Buster Crab because the influence on the the, the 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 film, as you've pointed out, it looks like it could be made fifteen years before. But that was deliberate about how they wanted to pitch it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, because it was at the cinema, every week you went to cinema. It said episode one, episode two, whatever, and it recapped it. And it did that scrolling thing yeah. in there, so it's paying a homage. But it's quite—it's interesting when you look at it because was it Mike Hodges? That was another thing I wanted to bring up. Yeah, Mike Hodges directed the movie, but he, he wasn't first choice or anything. Like there, there was some other names kicking about, and obviously George Lucas is the famous one who wanted to make yeah. this. I think if George Lucas managed to get this IP and make it, it would have been a much more successful film. Um, but I'm guessing a lot of fans of Star Wars is glad because Star Wars wouldn't exist mm -hmm. if he got his hands on Flash Gordon because he would have just adapted that yep. story. As soon as he didn't get the rights to this, he then started writing Star Wars mm -hmm. um, in the sort of early 70s. But yeah, Mike Hodges is a funny one because I think British director who was kind of more famous for things like Get Carter, Michael King gangster movie, which is a great piece mm -hmm. of cinema, specifically a great piece of British cinema it's really a weird tangent trying to picture him doing Get Carter and Flash Gordon it seems like a world's apart but yeah. that's what 
movie directors maybe did back then is they weren't necessarily involved in the writing process and the production process. They, they came and done their role and their job on a film set. But more these days is you're getting auteurs yep. of they want to be involved in every aspect of a film to make sure it becomes a film that they vision. Because if you just let people do their thing, it might end up like something you didn't think at the start. Because I think a lot of people, when they sign on to make a film, they've got a very distinct image of how they want it to look at the end product. It's then just piecing the jigsaw yep. together and getting to that final product. And Mike Hodges probably wasn't really involved if he came in late. I don't think, like I said, I don't think he was... Um, first choice at all um reading here that nicholas rogue who done um as a director who who was involved in it um the writer the writer of the film so it was adapted by michael Allen who who wrote um enter the dragon the bruce lee martial arts film so yeah, there was loads of of different people attached so it just maybe he came in right at the end of the sort of decision-making process and it was get to work, we've got a budget and a time limit to make a film. I think also as well, as from, from what I understand, was half the production cast crew were Italian and the other half were American and British. And you've referenced about the writer who did the Adam West ones. Well, there's an awful lot of um, a fun element reflecting that. But the Italian production crew thought they were making a much darker film so there's some really interesting points i mean you've got the bit when clytus who i think peter wingard is a fantastic um, actor um was playing clytus when he dies his eyes pop out his head right yeah that was you weird know, well can you imagine as a 10 year old or 11 year old watching that right and his tongue's hanging out right and and, and you're thinking hang on a minute this is a brightly colored sort of film this is a film which has got a fun element. That's a vicious death. And then you've got when um, uh, Princess Adala is being um, tortured. That seemed... That and seemed... That, that, when you're looking back to the, again, the funny elements in the actual film, that's really dark as well. Well, obviously, our dad's very merciless because he's Ming the Merciless. Yes. Well, he, but well, he just appears, and it's like Clayus says, "Should I stop the torture?" Yeah, and and he just goes, "No," yeah. and disappears again. Yeah, it's like I get there is the, the thing about it for me is there is dark elements to this film, and see if they went full dark, I probably would love this film because it, I would there would be so much cool things happening. But the fact is, is there's maybe one or two moments like that and the rest is just this really kind of upbeat, campy, kind of spunky American Adam West kind of Batman dialogue where everything's but, but, everything's yeah. going great and everything's upbeat and we're all having a great time. But, and you, it's like, you... but you're, you're not. You, I mean, you're in the pit of despair and the world's crumbling around you. But it's just never ever written like that, you know. And everybody's like, "Oh, it's great," and it's like, but it's quite similar oh. when you watch Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers, which um, around about the same time, both although they were TV series, they both had uh, cinema releases for uh, films. Battlestar Galactica, when you see the whole world is getting destroyed 
and Adam and the fleet escaping. And Buck Rogers, when he uh, finds out that he's um, uh, been put 500 years into the future um, on that. So it, it kind of, it, it's not just, I think, part of that film. I think science fiction was going two different directions. But the wanting to originally for Mark and Gary also to make Flash Gordon as a trilogy. So if it had been successful, the second one would have been Flash Gordon Goes to Mars. So perhaps that could have been The Empire Strikes Back, much darker. You know, the second film, perhaps, if it had gone down that direction. I, I don't know why this film didn't get a sequel. It seems like it really wanted to make one. Well, it didn't. was it was successful in the UK and Europe, but it didn't do that well in America. Right. So I think that's why um, the, it didn't get that. Um you know, sort of thing. But again, there was an awful lot of science fiction kicking around at that time. And as the 80s yeah. went on, science fiction got gradually more and more darker. I, you know? I'm glad that it's not a dark film. Like, I mm-hmm. don't I just don't think it should be at all. Uh, at certain points when it did, their film did go a little bit darker, I thought it was fine. There were some parts where I was like, wait, who, like that, that, that eye popping out part, I was like, whoa, what, like, what, who's this film made for? <laughs> like, is it, cause it seems for the most part it's light-hearted and it has like a little bit like was like was like was it really implied that Dale like Dale was being raped by the the bad guy? It seemed like it was kind of implied. Well, he was. She was. Well, this she, is maybe not necessarily the right time to bring this up. We have got another section. Right. Okay. Then where we not can sure. maybe speak about the weird and sort of off stuff within. Yeah. Because we talk about controversial topics, subjects, and themes within the movie. And that normally gets brought mm-hmm. up there. I just wanted to... I'm, I'm not that I want to stop your conversation. But I think yeah. before we digress further into that, we should maybe just give a ratings of of the film and then we'll move on um, and we'll start talking about it. Other like parts like in specific areas, if you're cool with that. Um, okay. I'll, I'll go first. Um, like you've said, there's not much redeeming qualities of this film, in my opinion. I find it really difficult to buy into any of the characters. It's not for me, and, and for that reason, I'm not going to give it anything. Like, I wouldn't give it one or anything like that. But I'm only I'm going to give this a two out of five. It's just not not for me at all. Um, I don't want to be super harsh. I mean, I think it does some good things in us. I think the music alone for me bumps it up maybe a bit. But yeah, two out of five. Um, uh, for me on that. Um, what about you, Nick? What would you give the film out of five? Well, I'll give it four. So four, four popcorn buckets out of five. Yep. Just, I think it. I think you're really biased. That well, I, it's I almost, feel it's almost like yeah, but I feel admitted that. I mean, yeah, because yeah. as I said, the way I'm looking at it is I'm twelve again. So, yep. and I think this is this is why we we all of us have probably got weird and wonderful things that we like, which other people will never understand mm-hmm. because of it. And I I don't think it's just specific to that 90-minute segment of, of the film. It's a wider context about how it fits into when you watched it, what was going on at the time, what else was happening. And as I said, for me, I'm always 12 when I watch it. So I I, I feel I admit that I'm biased. Mm-hmm. Because I know being objective, if I, I can understand why people would give it less. And I think it's a Marmite sort of film. You either like it or you don't. There's no in-between phase for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I don't know what you could have put it better. It's li- it's literally more in this film, hundred percent. Right, Kenzie, what are you giving it then? 
I'm a bit stuck. I, 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 I'm going between either a three or a three point five, and I think my original thought probably would have been a three, but I kind of enjoy this film. Mm, does it deserve it though? You should no. Probably, I, I'm. Yeah, I would I'm, say the music elevates it. So whatever you think it is, always give it higher because the Queen soundtrack. I, 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 yeah. I, I'm giving this a three point five. I really enjoyed it. I really like the lightheartedness of it. Anyway, that's us. We've given our reviews. Um, we won't digress any further into things that we like and dislike about the film. We are now going to move on to the part of the podcast where we speak about the rules of cult film cafe. So, for those of you who aren't familiar, they are low-budget stroke box office flop, rewatchability, quotability, not well received by contemporary critics, stroke reviewers at times, explores controversial topic subjects and themes and cultural legacy and impact of the film so with that being said we're going to move swiftly on to the first one which is low budget stroke box office flop now um yeah this film had an absolutely huge budget for the time it says between 20 and 27 million i'm Um, going to estimate that it was 27 million yeah i'm going to estimate that almost almost three times the budget of tremors 10 years later Budget was massive, uh, twenty-seven million dollars. Um, it grossed all in forty-six point five million, which probably isn't too bad. And back then, I would say that it kind of didn't. There's, it was definitely a flop in terms of what the the studio expected it yeah. to do. It, this this film, they were probably expecting to do north of a hundred million, um, and it didn't. Why? Well, I, I just think, <laughs> I just think that I think with these films, I think when you get it goes back to original IP and pe- things that people are familiar with. So, Star Trek Wrath of Khan came out a year later, I think 1981. Yeah. Or 82, a couple of years later. And because it was uh, something that people were familiar with, on a, such a, on a budget of like 12 million, it made nearly 100 million. And I think it, when people were familiar with it, you've got to remember that people that are science fiction fans will be familiar with the comic strip that was still probably in publication at the time. Like you said, it ran to 2003. There was audio series, there was a TV series of this. George Lucas tried to buy it. There was people interested in Flash Gordon. So that's why I think it should have probably made more money. It just didn't for whatever reason. I think I know why, but that's my opinion. Um, but yeah, that's they're, they're kind of the, the base numbers. Um, I mean, it had an okay opening weekend. Um, I mean, it honestly made more money than I thought it would make. Like, it's hoping the weekend was, like, nearly 4 million, which is about 15% of the total gross of the whole movie. Um, so, yeah, it, it done okay, I think. It's just one of those where I think for a budget of that amount, considering what was coming out in this genre around about it, that's where I find it a bit lacklustre for me. But, like, you have said that it has something that appeals to people. It's very marmite. Yeah, you love it or you hate it. And if you like this style, you're going to love it. It does hark back as a homage to 60s films. Well, not 60s Batman, <laughs> but 60s films. There is a lot of things that like are very similar to, like I was saying, the sort of stop motion stuff of the sixth, late 50s, 60s, you know, chasing the Argonauts and stuff like that. There's there is kind of similarities, not necessarily, I know that's mm-hmm. like Jason Argonauts isn't a sci-fi film, but 
some of the effects look very, very similar. And I think if you if you really have got a passion about that style of cinema, you're going to really love Flash Gordon. Mm -hmm. You're not going to take into consideration when it was released, how much money was spent on it. You're going to be like, I just really love this film. But from me looking at it going, knowing what other films were made for around about the same time, like Star Wars had a smaller budget, I would assume, in 1977, and I mean, made absolutely loads of money. I think also as well, probably just remember as I said, most of the audience going to see the films would have been probably fathers taking their young sons to it. Hmm. So you can look at the production values now, and I, I, I get where you're coming from with that. But again, when you're 10 or 11, you've got no critical facilities. You know, faculties where you're... I mean, Jar Jar Binks, if, you, if you're eight years old when Jar Jar Binks came out, you love Jar Jar Binks. If you're a 40-something who grew up in Star Wars... You know, you've got a different take on on the character, but all the seven year olds I knew at the time about that. So it's this is another one. So yeah. because of your age, you're an original Star Wars fan, like mm -hmm. as in the original trilogy. I was the third person in my class to see it. Right, and then because of Kenzie's age or his bias to it, he's a prequel trilogy fan. Love them. I like the I, I like the the prequel trilogy. Right. Not a Star Wars episode, but it's just funny you yeah. say that. And I understand that the, the different time periods capture different well, I mean, people. Yeah, it's I think like... it's probably important to, to remember. Because as I said, when when Flash Gordon came out, I said, the amount of science fiction which was exploding. I mean, I was watching reruns of the original Star Trek. And then you had the films coming out. That's the funny thing about Star Trek. Star Trek finished in like 69, 70. Yeah, 1969. But in terms it, it, of the it, it, original TV show. But it gathered quite a following afterwards. After, yeah. And the fans kept it going because, I mean, you had the animated series in the early 70s. And, and then reruns were on reruns, all the time. Uh, and then it wasn't until... I mean, the actual motion picture Star Trek never came out until like years after the film. Which probably, finished. if it hadn't been for Star Wars, probably would never have happened. Because, because that kicks... I mean, Flash Gordon might never have been made because of Star Wars because... They were, they're all looking at ideas now about new stuff mm. or what can they resurrect from the past um, yeah. and, and bring it um, you know, you know, out for that. So anything which either had a pedigree already, they were looking to reboot and see what they could actually do. Right. Um, so over, I don't, I so don't... Over... Sorry. Oh, on yeah. you, Kenzie. Uh, I, I was just wondering, like, overall, what, what, like, what do you, would you say this would be a... Um... Yeah, I think this is... Um... I wouldn't. It isn't low budget, but I would probably say it flopped at the box office. When you kind of in a way where I feel as though that there was a, such a higher expectation in terms of what the film should have. Made. Yeah. So it kind it, it kind of yeah. does, then it doesn't. It's kind of like a half tick, I would say half. for this one. It's not more like a flop. It's more like a kind of stumble. Yeah. To stumble, kind of fall. Then I just have a complete flop. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. So anyway, with that being said, we'll move on to the rewatchability factor of the film. So I hate this film and I'll never watch it again. So it's not rewatchable for me. I struggle to watch it. There's films that I do for this podcast, I'll watch five or six times because I can't get enough of it. I struggle to watch this. I had it on twice. First time, I, I couldn't get into it. So I had to go back. And second time, Managed to force myself through it. <laughs> it just oh, it was an absolute travesty for me in terms of trying to watch this film. I, um, I was getting messages from Jonathan like, "Oh, I'm struggling here." It was, like, it was so funny. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's not super long. That's the thing. It's like less than two hours. I think it's like an hour and four. Hour and 50 minutes. I think it's like adding the credits. It's probably like an hour and 45 minutes and like start to finish. But, oh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. Um, but um, Nick, Nick touched on it earlier. Like, he's more on... If he flicks it on a channel and he sees it's on and he likes what's happening and he'll watch it, he might not stay for it all, but there is a rewatchability quality to the film. Um, it's just, and for me, um, and if you're into the same kind of films that I'm into, you're probably not going to watch this film again if you have. Or maybe you are like me and like all the films I like and this, which if you do, well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I think this is like said. Right, this film really feels like a kind of like a Channel Five Sunday film, and it's really if you don't like it, you're never gonna watch it again. You're like, brother, you're gonna be like, that is, that was absolutely god awful. Get that away from me. But if you like it, it's absolutely really watchable. It's one of those ones that is rewatchable. For me, I found it felt a bit long. I would have liked it to be a little bit shorter. That was probably one thing I would say. I felt it kind of like the first like hour was fine. But that last kind of forty minutes, especially kind of like in the last twenty, maybe. I agree. I would like it to be a lot shorter in the fact that it shouldn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> that that last, but yeah. Maybe maybe, but, maybe that is maybe that's just subconsciously. Maybe you're right. You've came onto something. Maybe if it was twenty five minutes shorter, I would maybe enjoy it more. You stumbled on it. You said the first hour kind of goes at this pace, and like I said earlier. The film opens with no backstory of that. You're like on the rocket into space within five, ten minutes. Probably not even ten minutes. But then, for whatever reason, in the middle of this film, there's a bit of this back and forth. Back and... Yeah. That doesn't need to be there. It's like, let's form the army and let's go and end it, do it, done. Bob's your uncle. Fanny's your aunt. Film's over. You've saved the world. Hurrah! Like Queen yeah, play out. Done. Yeah. done, 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 yeah. done. The, the film does get a bit kind of weird at certain points because it kind of goes like, it's like Flash gets captured, Flash gets out, and then gets captured again. That happens like quite a few times. Even with other characters, they get out, then get captured. It's like everyone's getting out and getting captured, and it's like they kind of dance around certain things. Like don't try to team up, and it's like nah, it's not happening. It's not happening until it suddenly it happens, and you're like, oh. But uh, I mean. I don't think it's that it's that bad, and I don't think it would really put you off the film. Rewatching it again, so yeah, I think if you're a fan of the film, you're gonna rewatch it. I, 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 it's certainly one of those films. I bet. Like, how many times? Uh, Nick, Nick, sorry, um, I'm bad with names. Sorry, but uh, how many times have you rewatched this film now? It's difficult to say because I mean, remember, I've been watching on and off over forty years. You know, yeah. so again, it's. <clears throat> It's just what, and the thing is as well is when you go on the internet now, fans make up, they edit things, they put things together, what have you. So maybe you should be looking at one of the fan, fan made, fan made, because it'll be a, have a better production value. You no, know, you know where they, they take out the bits that, um, you know, or it'll have a better production like. value. Kenzie asked the question, so you you wouldn't know off the top of your head how many times you've seen it. I said, was it the Blade Runner or the Twelve Monkeys episode? Don't know that I've watched it probably ten times or so. Jamie, when he was on the podcast doing Big Trouble, he watches the film once a year and he has done religiously for his whole life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, probably he's watched it 30 times, I would assume. 
Are you the same? Do you visit this regularly? Do, would you say you watch Flash Gordon once a year, once every two years, once every five it's years? It's random, to be honest. I mean, I could find myself maybe watching maybe three or four times in a year because it's on. Yeah. But I might then go by three or four years and... So do you think you've maybe in the ballpark of 20 times or so? I would say so. That's a lot for times of, times of 20 times you've watched tweet yourself through this film. <clears throat> it could yeah. be worse. I could have done twenty times Blade Runner. And, oh, that would I mean, be fantastic! And, 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 and being so dark as a film, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that would have affected me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair. Yeah. So I think we've always had a piece on rewatchability. I'll never watch it again. Next watched it twenty plus times in his lifetime, and he'll continue to rewatch it going forward. And Kenzie is a fan of this film, so he's probably going to say it's rewatchable when he will probably watch it again at some point. So, yeah, as I think you kind of take it, take that kind of... Take my opinion with a pinch of salt, I would say, because we're on a podcast where two-thirds agree and I'm just the one that disagrees, but I really don't like this film. So I'm, I'm happy to concede this fact that it is rewatchable, re, that it has got a rewatchability factor. It's just not necessarily for me. So I'm happy to say that it is rewatchable. So yeah, um, quotability, that's another one. So Gordon is alive! I know you're only waiting for the right moment to attack him. Yes! And Ming knows that too. So, by delivering you, I allay his suspicions. <laughs> I gain time. Our weapons are inferior. We need another year's preparation. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive? He's in our boyer. Prince Baron is aiding him. Baron! I tell you, now is the time to strike. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You right, literally stole that from my mouth What's there. What's the next question now? <laughs> the fact that <laughs> this is a good one because there's been so many episodes where it, we start talking about all his great dialogue and nobody really likes quotes from the Bring film. the boar worms. Oh no, not the boar worms. Oh. See, that's the problem. What are the boar worms? We've, we've, we've just started talking about it. You've named a couple. This is good, good segment. Flash, I love you, but we only have 14 hours to save the earth. <laughs> what the... <laughs> See what I mean about bad dialogue, yes. just making great quotes? But that's the problem. I think badly written films get remembered for the good right, lines. I'm, I'm going to... Re right. Refer you to Ted. Have you watched Ted when yes, with Sam, Sam J. Jones? Jones? I want to thank you for saving every one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Saver of the universe. And that's, I, and that's I his real voice, actually, you know, when the, uh, you're yeah. at, for uh, Sam J. Jones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, like, I agree. I think films that are more worsely written than other films tend to have standout one-liners. Whereas if the whole film's written well, it's probably really, it's hard to pick the yeah, but, ones but out I, of it. But again, I think you've got to think about the target audience. No, no, that's fair. So but I, I mean, still, I mean you, can, you can look at it as it's not Shakespeare, whatever, which, which is fair enough. But to a 10-year-old, it's yeah. exciting. No, but, that, that, but I think my point still stands. Mm -hmm. I think like Blade Runner, for instance, is a better written film as a whole. I think the character dialogue between all the characters is better. As Didn't a technical... Rick Howard disagree and make up his own speech at the end. Well, that, that's a contentious <laughs> subject. We did bring it up. Rick Howard did. He didn't ad lib it. He asked for it to be rewritten, and then even when it got rewritten, he still used some of uh -huh. the dialogue, and then he added his own. Yes, that is true. Rick Howard did do a lot of line changing, but it's Rick Howard, and 
that's fine because it's Rutger Hauer. <laughs> Sam J. Jones isn't clever enough to start changing lines of dialogue. Let's face it. He'll just look at a script and go, I can read that. That's fine. No, but my point still stands. I think if you look at a film which is written start to finish as a piece of work, which is mm-hmm. better than, say, another film, it'll be harder. It'll be harder to find the sort of standout lines because you're like, ah, oh, I like all of this. It's a perfectly written film. And that's kind of what we struggled with on Blade Runner is there's a lot of depth and meaning and a lot of the things that people say and that's because it touches on a lot of darker and sort of, it's as a darker film and it's, they're, they're exploring a lot of kind of more serious mm-hmm. tones like, that's probably why, but there is a couple of good lines in Blue Journal. There is ones where people remember and we did rough off, but this one's a bit more definite for you. You've got a couple straight away that go, Oh, that stands out to me. Kenzie's probably got a few um from Flash. Uh, my main one was Gordon's Alive. That is that one's so good. But uh, yeah, there's I'm trying to think of other ones. I'm bored Clytus. One that stood out for me is you know when they're the the Vulcans are in the sky? Yeah, and they're attacking, yeah. and it's um, it's um, this is it's kind of like a weird one because Prince Volton turns around and it's like a a quib was like an off the cuff thing, but it's obviously written, and he turns around and he goes, "Ah well, who wants to live forever?" Ah well, who wants to live forever? <laughs> Yeah, and I was I really like, like that wait one. a minute here, because um, Queen done the soundtrack, they then go yeah. on and do an album, which most of the songs were used in Highlander, and they have a song called Who Wants to Live Forever. I mean, did they just get that from that? No, probably not, but so, so, it's just weird, there's a weird tie-in that so, like, I've seen. So, I was you, like, so you know how Blade Runner's futuristic predicts the future? We've actually got a concrete example of a film which you say should have been made 15 years before predicting the future in Flash Gordon. That makes it more accurate for predicting the future than Blade Runner, doesn't it? But I don't think any of these films are very good at predicting the future. We said that about Blade Runner, that people that were writing science fiction films 40 years ago always thought that the world was going to be this dystopian earth and we were going to have flying cars and stuff. We've yet to see a flying car and it's 2022. Mm -hmm. That's us for quotability we'll move on now to not well received by contemporary critics stroke reviewers now at the moment um the film holds a 6.5 in imdb based on fifty thousand ratings um rotten tomatoes is kind of a bit of a better metric because you get a tomato meter which is film critics so it's got an 82 percent fresh rating and the tomato meter based on 51 reviews and a 69% audience score based on over 25,000 ratings. Um, this film was actually quite well received by critics at the time. I know that I've slated this film, but that really surprised me. Um, Pauline Kael for The New Yorker described Flash as having some of, some of the annoying, pleasurable giddiness of the fast-moving Bonds. The director, Mike Hodges, gets right into comic strip sensibility and pacing. I mean, I've got issues with the pacing, but I can kind of get maybe why it should be because it is based on a comic strip and they're just little squares and they do move really quickly. Roger Ebert, big name, um, probably one of the most well-known film critics, um, also played Flash Gordon, stating, Flash Gordon is played for laughs and wisely so. 
this is space opera, a genre invented by Edgar Rice Burroughs and Hugo Gernsback and other men of unlimited imagination harnessed to definitively limited skills. It's fun to see it done with energy and love and without the pseudo-meaningful apparatus of the force and Trekkie power. It is fun, yeah, sort of, it is. It's got a point. It's not tied to these kind of other things like Star Trek, Star Wars, yeah. Um, there are two of the bigger film critics that people know, Paul and Kiel, Roger Ebert, both praised the film. Um, there is some negative reviews as well. Um, do you know what saddens me, though, is I'm a big Empire magazine fan. And I've got stacks of them. I used to buy them every month. I'm not so much anymore. But Adam Smith... Um, done a review of this and gave it four out of five stars and <laughs> i love that i i love that magazine and i normally agree with a lot of the the writing in it i just obviously i can't but it kind of pains me it's like a dagger in the heart i mean to be honest i am honestly surprised that critics seem to quite like it i'm, um, I'm gonna be honest I'm, I'm the same i'm a bit surprised when I, I haven't read any of the reviews or anything like that but bearing in mind about how it seems to be more popular in the UK and Europe than in America. Um, and it goes against the trend about uh, the films because they were getting darker. I mean, uh, you know, not just Blade Runner, but Empire Strikes Back, Alien had just popped up. Even the, some of the Starship movies were getting darker as the 80s went on. Uh, you know, so so it's, it's, maybe it's because it's bucking the trend and it stands out in that respect. I mean, if you look at I the mean, Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. tomato, you're eighty-two percent. So that means that average of four out of five. I mean, that's that. That's, you gave it four out of five. Kenzie gave it three and a half. You are more in line with the sort of consensus than I am. I mean, I'm way below. I mean, I, I wouldn't even give this film fifty percent. But that's based on my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I'm I'm shocked as well. There is a lot of positive positive reviews of. It would have been nice yes. if they'd made the second in the trilogy to see what direction they went. Because as, yeah. as I said, you've got Star Wars and then Empire Strikes Back, which is a completely different um, direction with it being really dark compared to the to the first film. Perhaps, as I said, you might have got Flash Gordon going down a, a you know a darker route or a different route. I mean, I think the problem is, is it's bit, because it's so firmly based on 30s comics like it was this story arc i'm guessing was the original comic strip arc of the the character that they've probably harked into with this and there is other when i searched up flash there's so many other stories available and if you're fan if you're only familiar with this film and you're a fan of it go out and search and um, like nick was saying there's audio um releases from different eras there's a 50s tv show there's an animated show and yeah and obviously the comic if you can get your hands on the comic and probably archived now it ran all the way up in some publication all the way up to 2003 from the mid 30s so you will because it's that old and ran for such a long time you will have so many different stories i think this film only really is such a small portion yeah. of the character um, and maybe that's to its detriment but critics loved it you guys love it audiences that are a fan of it love it it's very marmite so 
this is and this is a no on the podcast. We don't give this one a tick because it was well received. Um, should we move on? Yeah. So expose controversial topics, subjects, and themes. Flash Gordon. I think it's one of those light-hearted kind of movies, but I think if you try and think about the time when the original comic was written, it probably was talking about a lot of things that people were scared of at the time, you know, space travel and aliens coming to well, invade and I mean, the only things, things like that. I mean, there's a couple of things which which come to mind which I hadn't really thought about until I started to look at the internet before I came on. The Ming character is actually quite controversial. Yep. Um, f- for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, you've got a white European playing someone who is very asiatic in a, in appearance so you've got a you know a white man doing that and again in the 1930s as you say there was a tendency to portray chinese and japanese people as villains and i think that from memory probably started off with um, uh, a character called fu manchu um which he was a chinese Member of a, you know head of a, a Tong society, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to take over the world through crime, and the, the British um, had Neil and Smith, who was the Scotland Yard commissioner, who was uh, through a series of books who was endlessly attempting to stop him, um, and they made a TV series and also made some Hammer f- films in the in the sixties. So when you're watching that again, which again when I was watching that as a as a ten year old or whatever. It wouldn't have um, impinged on my conscience, but being aware about how the world's changed, about how these things are viewed, I think they would have a problem doing that character possibly now. Um, certainly, yeah. if, you, if you're going to p- portray the character, you would have to have, I suppose, if he's supposed to, you know, because that's the, the race that he's from, you know, uh, someone, you know, you know, from the you know Chinese or whatever is yeah, actually I think doing it's, that. Um, it's one of those things that I I brought up. Um, I done an an essay um, or a review last year about June, um, the nineteen eighty four film, and I reviewed the new one. But it was kind of why the new one was better. I, we kind of kind of contrasted them. Yeah. And I've always stated that that was one of the worst things that cinema did is whitewashing casts uh, back then. They never ever gave um, other nationalities the chance to come into these kind of big blockbuster, big budget movies. It didn't really start to happen um, until much, much later. And even to this day, people still talk about whitewashing happening. Um, And just, yeah, you brought up a couple of things for me that I wanted to say. Um, There is a problem with racism like in Flash that would be um and discriminatory 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 stereotypes. We we haven't spoken about it, but yeah, and I think that's probably one of the positives of all these movements that have happened in the last sort of five years in Hollywood and in the film industry is we're starting to see change. But it should have happened 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It should never ever have been that way, to be honest with you. But uh, these things probably should have been sparked a long, long time ago. And it's probably taken a long time for people to maybe have the power to speak out. Um, But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think... As as a as a potentially 
kind of controversial thing but like we always say on the podcast you've always got to remember when things were written not only when the film was written but when the source material was written the source material was written in the 30s things were a lot different in the 1930s to what they are now we're almost 100 years apart and even in 1980 things were a lot different but I wanted to just fling this over to Kenzie because Kenzie you brought up a potential potential thing within the film story or what was happening that you felt could potentially be deemed a bit controversial yeah um i mean overall really the film is not really it's fairly hard but that, yeah the with dale dale's character it seems like it's heavily implied i'm pretty sure i'm seeing it right that she's heavily implied that, that ming is raping her they now they never like really they, they don't really show much about this or anything but it's just kind of they show that she's given like is it the slaves start like they give her like a drink like oh a drink this or i don't know if that's the slaves or that's just other people there and they're just like that will help like being with ming like passable or like make you want to like what there's not something it didn't say it would help make you forget it said it, it said it would um but does she not escape though before she actually Yeah, so I think I think the thing is it's like she Does she escape? She, she no but she this is after she's aware of what the drink's doing, because when you cut her in the bedroom when they yeah, do the teleportation, she wakes up from being passed out. So there is that connotation. Also just so, to yeah. touch on what Ken's you said about slaves, yes, they are slaves. That's another thing. Um, that could potentially be deemed as controversial in the film as its depiction of slavery. I know that it's written and and it's racial prejudices as well. But yeah, uh, that could be. I see. What what about the mind control thing? Like, see at the start and like. Oh yeah, what was happening with that? What, that was what weird. What is that? Can she you explain doing, like, that? Some... Like, she has like a mad. What is he doing? Dance. Well, he's he got the doing? ring, hasn't he? Yeah, but what does that ring do? But that. What was she doing? She was like, it's very, like what was that? It's very, well, that, 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 that was that was to try and bring her under under his control. Um, I mean, I have, to, I have to confess, I well, you watch this as a ten year old kid, so you probably aren't looking. Well, well, too that's much the thing, this. and then to be honest, I hadn't picked up on either that one or the um, the bit in the bedroom. Which, when I think back, I, I, I don't think anything happened. To be honest, I, I think she she passes out. Um, but he's and, feeding her. Well, this 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 is from my recollection of it because I have to confess, I would have to look at this again because I hadn't picked up on this, so my interpretation is different to you know what's been been brought up. I mean, my thing about that would be that women aren't portrayed very well because both the princess and Dale Arden are there to get captured and then flash rescues dale and baron rescues the princess so i mean you talk about flash getting captured but he then escapes under his own own steam as it were so that's how i actually see that i mean the only strong female leading that is the inquisitor and you're not entirely sure she's female because when she dies she kind of like deflates so you get this impression that she might be some sort of robot or android or something mm-hmm. which has a female form. So that's why I took about the not portrayed as being strong. I mean, even the societies, I mean, you're looking at Volta and you're looking at Prince Ban, the, the women seem to be subordinate. You don't really see them, you know, as such. It's, 
Oh, there's not like a strong female yeah. character yeah. in the and, film. And, and, well, and you're right, it's a harem that um, uh, Dale Arden gets taken to yeah. um, on that. And the idea is that she takes that um, potion to make when she meets Ming to be a more pleasurable experience for her, um, you know, on that. But I mean, I, at the end of the day, I mean, Ming's going to have her as his, I mean, she wouldn't even be a queen. She'd just be probably his consort. And then with the marriage vows, it's as long as he wants to, and then he just gets Oh, he's portrayed as this, he, he's the ruler. Like, he's the dictator. He's the the one that mm-hmm. is in charge of everybody. And that's it's kind of like one of the arcs of the story is all these factions essentially revolting against him, this yeah. kind of but, ruthless but, dictator. But, but it does a divide and rule thing because mm-hmm. they that spend well, they try, that much time well, fighting to, to one another. Well, they tries to blackmail Flash and go, oh, I'll give you your planet or yeah. a person and you can rule like yeah. a king and stuff. He's trying to bargain because yeah. he knows, this is towards the end of the film, he knows that his power's fading and... Mm-hmm. I think it is all about control for oh, me. Yeah. And as soon as people start to fight back, I think that power decreases and decreases. But I think he finds Flash point. quite interesting mm-hmm. because Flash stands up to him and, yeah. and he knows that they all hate him. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you get the, um, what's what's the guy who says, I don't have anything. I'll give you, you know, give me a life. So he attempts to kill him. But again, using the ring with the, the control, he's put on the control and then gets executed. Yeah. Um. You know, by Ring, by Ming. I think Ming's character is, you, you if if you want to, you you you're looking at this as a ten year old kid, and you don't. We, we, but when we do this podcast, we've kind of got to look at all yeah. these avenues and make sure that we touch upon things that could be deemed controversial, or maybe not necessarily controversial, but deemed in a certain way. I think Ming's character is one of those. It's all about mind control, and it's the way that it's portrayed is, is very of the time, and it'd probably be a lot different now. But yeah, I kind of agree with Kenzie that there is something at play there. But anyway, we won't digress too much further because this could be a bit of a heavy-hitting segment, but we touched upon it. It's always nice as us as a podcast to explore these things and make sure we touch upon anything that people could deem controversial. But we've said a piece and you've, you look at the film through the eyes of a, a 10-year-old because you get transported back and yep. it's very nostalgic. Kenzie, first time watch, is looking at it through the eyes of a 21-year-old in 2022, and I wish I, I could burn my retinas and never have seen this film. <laughs> um, so there you go. We won't digress any further on this topic. We're going to then just touch upon quickly the cultural impact and legacy of the film, and I think this has maybe got a lot of props for it. There's, um, I just wanted to mention as well that as a fan of the film, you're probably a fan of Taika Waititi, Kenzie. I certain films. I just films. wanted to bring it up that there's still a potential reboot happening. It's been in the works since 2014. And 2014? It's been in the works since 2014. Um, 20th Century Fox hired J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay screenwriters and Matthew Vaughn, who Kenzie is also a fan of, to direct it. Um, somebody, uh, Mark uh, Protosevich was hired to rewrite the script in 2016. In 2018, Overlord director Julius Avery was reportedly recruited as director, so it's been bubbling under. There, there, there seems to be a, a, a thing about Flash that people love. Um, and an animated film is under development at F- Disney um, Stroke Fox with Taika Waititi writing and directing. 
as of 2019, the animated film was cancelled, but in July 2021, the film was revived with the plan to make it live action with Taika Waititi still attached to it. Which is potentially the right person to do this film if you're familiar with Ragnarok and Thor Love and Thunder. I think he could potentially capture something within this film. Have you have you seen Thor Ragnarok, the Marvel film? No, I'm I'm I kind of lost interest. That's fine, in... but I just if there's there's a reason why Taika Waititi I think would be right. And if you if you uh, watched his two Thor films, he's moved in to this realm of kind of MCU, but kind of space opera. The Thor films, especially Love and Thunder, I've not seen it, but people have really said, and the way it looks is it does kind of feel like that kind of film. So it is interesting to see him attached to it. And it just proves that there's there has been a big cultural impact and, le- and there is a big legacy of this film. People are still talking about mm-hmm. it to this day and potentially rebooting it. What are we, 42 years down the line now? Is that That's how long ago it was, yeah. I mean, even even also things like Ted, the Ted films, Sam J. Jones is brought into that, and he's kind of... what I mainly know him for. kind of playing him, but he is being Flash. Yeah. And I feel like if it, in the Ted universe, it's like this alternate reality where Flash saved the world, and they view him as Flash Gordon, and he is the saviour. How you doing? Good to meet you. I thank you for saving every one of us. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> he acknowledged it. Let's do some shots. With you? Oh my God. Yes, oh yes. my God, yes. Totally, yes. Let's go. Nice flash. There you go, my friend. Thank you. Death to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, you know, you guys seem pretty cool. You like to party? Ah. Uh, Cocaine, right? Come on, dudes, don't tell me you've never done it before. Well, not, uh, not recently, no. I thought that was just for people in Florida. You better follow me. Come on. Johnny, I'm frightened. We are gonna party like the 80s. Show us how, Flash. It's easy. We just gotta nail a lot of girls named Stephanie. Johnny, I got so much energy. We better start doing stupid shit. Um, he's got that kind of um, feeling. So with the reboot and then Brian Blessed is actually spot on when he says, Gordon is alive. <laughs> still. Yeah, he still is very much alive if if reports are, are to be to be told. Um it's a cult classic nonetheless, definitely. We're gonna move on to that pretty quickly. Um it's a favourite of Edgar Wright, the director, who I'm a big fan of Edgar Wright, and I'm surprised to hear that, but who used the film as one of the visual influences in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I can kind of see that. Um, yeah. A little, that's not even like that much, no, though. Like, that, that's weird, because like, I kind of, I don't really see that one at all. It's They're quite different. I can, like a little bit, but I guess there's probably a lot of other things he also looked at as well and probably not just Flash Gordon because I don't think there's too much similarities between those two films mm. I do really like Scott Pilgrim Scott Pilgrim is a, is, a, is a great film if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World check it out um, yeah there is there's been some what's that 
comic Dynamite Entertainment comic Flash Gordon Zeitgeist drew on several elements from a 1980 film including the reappearance of the villain Clytus who does not appear in the original comic strips this is a, in this adaptation Clytus again serves as Ming's main henchman yeah so they're bringing elements from the film I didn't realise that Clytus wasn't in the original comics so he was added for, added for the film there was a feature length documentary Life After Flash yeah I saw that yep yeah celebrates not only the nineteen eighty classic it features interviews from uh, actors within it. That's uh, uh, this is where I feel like the film is the strongest in terms of cultural impact and legacy. Like it's very, very much in pop culture even to this day. Like Kenzie's twenty one and knows of the film. There's probably yep. pe- people much younger that probably know of the film, and whether that's people like you showing nieces, nephews. Um, people your age, sons, daughters. Well, know. I think the internet now does this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, forty years ago when I watched the film, unless people in my immediate circles at school were enjoyed the same thing I did, it was highly unlikely that you would actually know anyone else. I mean, today you could watch a film and you don't know anyone personally who likes what you watch, mm-hmm. but you go on the internet and you'll find, you type in your film and then you find potentially thousands of entries of people who share your love for for what you've actually got as an on you know online community so again this has opened things up so much more widely now mm-hmm. and i think this is also why as i said i'm now of that generation which predates the internet but it's part of that internet as go, go older and you're one of them gen x people eh? yeah and, and, you, and you, you bring the issue from 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 your childhood that sounded like an insult i don't know an <laughs> but, but gen x is probably a good <laughs> i would say that gen x is probably the best what do they call them what are they called with the gen x and the baby boomers and oh, i get confused class, about people classifications yeah. of people's buff um, ages and, but but I, I, but, um, I, but again also as well as i mean I'm, I'm sitting here with was it what kenzie's what 21? 21 he's just turned 21 so, oh, we've we've got a great age range. Yeah, but yeah, here. I mean, this is what's quite. That's why in- the podcast works because he's a big chunk younger than me. Yeah, well, well this is what's quite interesting. The three of us are coming from three different yeah. directions. I mean, you don't like it at all. I'm a huge fan because I was I was there yeah. first yeah. time round. You're an Ken- OG. Yeah, Kenzie's watching. <laughs> exactly, Kenzie's watched it as someone who literally a- actually likes it. Yesterday, but, probably. But you know, as uh, you mm. know, as someone who yeah. is aware of. Has become more aware of this backstory yeah, towards it. Definitely, that's too, uh, yeah. I, I thought it was. anybody and else? I know I've just riffed off like sort of legacy and stuff of the film. Is anybody else that they've got touched on? Because Kenzie on the Blade Runner episode brought up something I wasn't familiar with because I don't really watch Red Dwarf, but apparently Red Dwarf kind of stole a lot of Blade Runner and um, Back to Earth episodes or specials or whatever. Yeah. Is there anything that you can think of in your? sort of science fiction world where yeah there is some impact of flash in this sort of newer science fiction or um there's a lot of similarities what and kenzie the same to you just before we move on and if you don't have anything that's totally fine but there there is definitely a cultural impact and legacy of the film though yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely i mean i've i from science kind of fiction things i I don't think I watched enough. I, I think I was lucky with the Blade Runner one because I watched Red Dwarf that they had done that. 
Um, the only thing I really knew about was the te- with the Ted films, which I had to have seen the yeah. Ted films. That's why I didn't know about. It's probably going to be the big um, one for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's quite it's quite a known film, and that was quite. I'm surprised that you've even watched actually the Ted movie. I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched the whole film. I just came across this um, when I was actually refreshing my memory and having looked to see what oh, was yeah, actually okay. out there. Um, I mean, the, th- the thing about, as you said, Flash Gordon's from the 1930s. I mean, Edgar Rice Burroughs was doing things like Tarzan and John Carter of Mars. Yep. And the interesting thing is when you watch the, these things now is these were the, the original templates for what you've got you know, today. You know, the original templates of, for example, as I referred to about, you've got a scientist He's a rogue scientist. The scientific community has actually turned their back on him. In his back garden, he's created a rocket ship or what have you, which you know goes back to like H.G. Wells with the Invisible Man and the Time Machine and what have you. It's a strand which you get an awful lot you know, in science, The Outsider. Mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, nice but dim. Right here. I mean, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. He, he's not the sharp... That's been nice as well. Yeah, but... but he's, yeah. Not, he's not... A th- the sharpest tool in the toolbox. Yeah, but that's why you've got Zakov there. You know, Zakov's the intellectual who who brings them along. You know, and these are things now which you get standard in an awful lot of science fiction films today. You know, the the hero who Mm -hmm. is square-jawed is going to do all the physical stuff. He is the ethically moral hero who knows what's right and what's wrong. He's got the love interest who is always going to fall for him, mm-hmm. um, regardless that he's nice but dim. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know yeah. but, but you, you've got that. I mean, even if you look at something like Star Trek, for example, Kirk's captain and he's resourceful and he's intelligent, but his mentor is Spock. Yeah, who's a, the clever one. He's the clever one. And when you actually look at them in theory, they shouldn't be friends. They no. shouldn't, you know, you know, you know, you know, get on there. So you've got that sort of, uh, you know, you know, template there about the. the no, I, I see that. Like I see, you see, even things from like the fifty science fiction from like the fifties and sixties, very did take a lot from these early science fiction writers. But it was just interesting that you brought that up. It it's became the conventional norm for the genre. Mm. So that is another thing that is done for the science fiction genre. I mean, again, you've got James Bond and you've got Q. Mm. You know, to let's say it's those sorts of uh, that dynamics. I mean, what's changed with people like James Bond? He doesn't have a regular girlfriend, although he's got Miss Moneypenny, who does the, mm-hmm. you know, the unrequited love affair from afar and things yeah. like that. So, yeah, and it's and and it's interesting. We touched on about the human element before. You know, you get all these alien races, and they all look well, more. They're not alien, really. They're all people. Well, that's what I'm about to say. They all look humanoid, yeah. but they're not human. I mean, Flash is... You know, what I'm meaning about, about that they're is... Not me- they're, they're not meant to be human, yeah, but to us, they are very yeah. human. But, I mean, again, it's Flash who goes and unites them all together to fight yeah. Ming, you know, because they're all squabbling and, you know, fighting it out and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, so... Was about humans in which they suddenly turn up in an environment, and all of a sudden the human element gets gets brought in. And yeah, it's... but uh, there's always a, just to touch on it. Like it seemed like these races of alien all needed 
we came under the power of Ming. Now, whether it's through mind control or just because there was somebody telling them what to do, but you get that in human race. You get leaders mm. and you get followers, and maybe they just needed a better leader in Flash because he does unite them all together. They mm. weren't doing that themselves. The, it's just it's a better it's it's a better sounding way to say that Flash is a superhero and he brings all these people together and they save the day. Mm-hmm. But he's still the man at the top and he's still got people following him into mm-hmm. battle. Very much like Ming just and he's just a better human being, he's a better person. He's not doing it in a bad sense. And yeah, that that's that's totally fair. Um but yeah, I I don't think there's too much more to say on, on this part. So yeah, that's probably a good a good one for for this film in terms of uh, cultural impact and legacy and like I said there's still talks of a reboot happening so many years down the line even just from the film so that is it for the rules uh, over here at Cult Film Cafe we are now going to move on to the short act 3 of the podcast where we based on the discussion we've just had do we agree that this film is a cult film and if so where would you place it in your top 100 list of cult movies of all time? Now, I won't go first because, you know, people know maybe know where I'm going to go with this. So it'll be interesting to maybe see where Nick would put it. So do you think it's a cult film? Well, it's probably easy to say that I would. I would, I would agree that it, it meets your criteria for being a cult film, yes. That's short and sweet, but yeah, it's quite, it's quite easy. We've had a, a long sort of winded conversation. So based on that, would you put it in your top 100 cult movies of all time? Yes. Do you know whereabouts you would put it in terms of a number or a ballpark? Kenzie does definitive numbers. I ballpark it. You can do either or you could just be like, well, I would put it in my top 100 and that's fine. I would probably put it probably between 20 and 30. Ah, fair. Because I, I, and the reason I'm doing that is although I'm a huge fan of it, I'm aware it's because I'm a huge fan that I'm not objective about it so looking at it in the two ways if i'd said the subject thing which is what i like fair enough but being objective i'm aware of its the validity of the criticisms of the actual film but it doesn't detract from me having an immense enjoyment from it no that's nicely said so kenzie what about yourself it is absolutely a cult film i would see it as a cult classic uh, just everything about it, like it's there's some films you just look at and it's like that's just a cult film. It obviously is from the time that it came out. I'm surprised it. Done, I'm surprised it was like received quite well, but um, yeah, that 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 genuinely was kind of surprising. But for everything else about it, yeah, this film. I, I, if this film didn't become a cult film, I would. I genuinely wouldn't know how. Uh, just because of just the type of film it is, like what it, like so many things about it. Kind of we the the old look to it, which now looks even older now, but it looked old when it probably came out. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely. I I would see it as a classic cult classic film. It's just um, it's what if you're thinking of cult films, I think it's one of the ones. I think I've said this before as well, but like it is one of the, probably one of the ones you'll eventually think about, even if it's not straight away. It's like one that's like right there. Like you think of a cult film, Flash Gordon is definitely one. It's a cult classic. Not that not that everyone likes it, but people do love it. It's very much like Marmite, as has been already been said. It's people will not care about it, but people will love it, and that following who love it genuinely do really like it. So it's absolutely a cult classic film. As where would I put it? 
I think I'll put it bang smack in the middle. I think I'll put it at fifty. I think that's fair for that type of film. I think it needs. I think it should be in the top a hundred. And I think it bangs back in the middle is the right place to put it. Just like oh, so like, all these films you should check out, and, and in the middle. Oh, also this is the one you check out, and then other ones that I think are more worthy to watch. Well, there you have it. Yeah, Kenzie and Nick both agree it's a cult film and should be placed on the top hundred. Well, sadly, it's over to me. No, I don't really like this film, but I agree that it's a cult film. Would I say it's a cult classic? Possibly. Um, but yeah, you, you know my feelings about the film already. But this may surprise you, though. I would put it in my top 100 because I feel like it should be there. Like Kenzie said, it's probably one of those films that if you were to think it would come to you quite quick and if that's the case you probably should make a list like this but I would have it quite sort of high up not high up in terms of close to one I would say close to 100 I would put I'm going to put it at sort of between 90 and 100 at the minute but that's based on my opinion and I still think you should watch it if you're into cult films but yeah there's there's better cult movies for me in my opinion Blade Runner. Um, it's a lie, because it's not a cult film. That's not a cult film. <laughs> 12 Monkeys. <laughs> 12 Monkeys, okay, I agree with that. Anyway, so yeah, um, we all agree it's a cult film. We've all placed it inside the top 100. And yeah, go and check it out if you haven't already. Um, and yeah, that is it for this episode of the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure as always to break down another one of these films on the list and as always if you would like to get in contact with us uh, at the podcast you can find us on instagram at cult film cafe and if you would like to email us you can email us at the cult film podcast at gmail.com and yeah if you'd like to get in contact with me personally i am 081331 productions on instagram and kenzie is doge underscore dogs that's his instagram at and yeah uh we'll plug his uh dying twitch stream as always you can find <laughs> kenzie not streaming but he might at some point but if you're into streams you can find kenzie over on twitch at twitch.tv slash hopefully he gets i will be streaming his twitch stream and he's been saying this for about the past month anyway yeah if you're into uh, gaming and all that good stuff and as always i'll drop uh, the handles in the descriptions on spotify and youtube and all that good stuff sadly our guest isn't a social media user or we would <laughs> put an at at to find him he's an incredible person very knowledgeable and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on like it has been an absolute great experience and it's been great to talk about this film with you thank you very much for inviting me along it's been much appreciated do you think you'll come back on i'd love to so we can maybe sort something like that out as well so yeah um, it's been an absolute pleasure. So it's a goodbye from me. It is a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me as well. Thank you. And as Brian Blessing would say, Gordon's alive! <laughs> Podcast it, everybody. <laughs>